Chapter 11 of Hard to Beat by a Self-Made Man This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 Imprisoned on the Hackensack Meadows It was a dark, drizzling Sunday morning when Bob Brooks awoke from his stupor in a dilapidated house in the midst of the Hackensack Meadows. He lay for some time staring up at the cracked and broken ceiling of the room without the least realization of where he was. Then, as his senses gradually began to take definite shape, he fancied he must be dreaming, for certainly this did not resemble his own room at home. This must be the continuation of a previous dream, his struggle in the carriage and various other disjointed recollections of an unpleasant nature. Suddenly he sat up and looked around. Was this a dream? It was. It certainly was unusually realistic. He heard the rain beating on the roof and against the dirty window panes and he could hear the wind soughing around the corners of the building. Then he noticed that he was fully dressed. Gee, what am I up against anyway? He muttered in a mystified way. He got up and made his way to the window. Where in the dickens am I? And how came I here? The dismal landscape was lost in an ocean of mist and rain, but he could make out the turbid water of the creek that gurgled beneath the window. Then the startling reflection came to him that the struggle in the carriage had been no dream, but a stern reality. He had been drugged to unconsciousness, and this was the rude awakening. This is fierce, he exclaimed. I wonder what it all means. He glanced about his room. It was in the last stages of dilapidation. A shaky bed held together with coarse white twine, such as comes about baled hay and the solitary stool. Of course, it was not long before Bob did the most natural thing under the circumstances. That is, he walked up to the door and tried to open it. He discovered that it was locked, or otherwise fastened on the outside. He was a prisoner beyond a doubt. I wonder why I've been brought to this dismal place, and for what purpose? He muttered in a far from cheerful tone of voice. As he had not the slightest idea who his abductors were, of course, he had to remain in the dark until something transpired. He drew his stool close to the window and amused himself with all sorts of guesses as the locality of his prison. By and by the rain ceased and the mist thinned out, allowing him a longer range of vision. As far as his eye could reach, he saw only water-soaked meadowland that looked more like a marsh than anything else, broken by the nearby stream and the creek that branched toward the house. Fully two hours passed away, which seemed an endless interval to the boy, before he heard a sound to indicate that the house was occupied by anyone else beside himself. Then he heard somebody moving around in the room beneath. Bob thumped with his heels on the floor to attract the person's attention. He was successful, for in a few minutes there were steps on the creaky staircase which communicated with a landing outside. It was a slouching gate which brought the man to the door, where he paused to undo the padlock before he could enter. "'Hello, Sonny,' said Mr. Grubb, poking his face into the room with a weary grin on his unshaven fizz. "'You have come to your senses, I see.' "'I guess I have,' said Bob in an aggressive mood, rising quickly from the stool and starting for the door. "'I want to know why I was brought here.' "'Keep your distance.' said Mr. Grubb hastily, or I'll shut the door again, and he made a movement to retire. Don't go, said Bob, stopping short in the middle of the floor. I want to talk with you. I ain't sure whether I ought to talk with you or not, replied the man. 
You can tell me why I was brought here and where I am, can't you? Mr. Grubb shook his head. You'll find that out by and by. But I want to know now, persisted the boy eagerly. I ain't got no orders to tell you nothing, answered Mr. Grubb. But you know all about it, don't you? I don't know nothing about what don't concern me, said the man cautiously. Who does, then? The man who brought you here. And who is he? He'll introduce himself when he gets ready. Bob saw that the man did not intend to be communicative. Will you bring me a drink of water? He asked. My mouth and throat feel like a furnace, and I've got a headache. I'll get it for you. Mr. Grubb shut and secured the door again, and Bob heard him shuffling down the stairs. It seems pretty hard to get any light on the situation, mused the boy, not at all pleased with the short interview. In a few minutes, Mr. Grubb ascended the stairs with a pitcher of water and a cracked glass, which he passed into the room and then went away again. Another half hour elapsed, and the old man came up with a cup of coffee, a plate of bread, and some cold meat. Here's your breakfast he said briefly, and shutting the door, he went away again. Bob was hungry enough to eat everything in sight, and lost no time in doing so. By this time the mist had disappeared entirely, and the boy caught an unobstructed view of the trackless meadows stretching away northward, with a distant sight of the outskirts of Hackensack. The sky was still lowering and threatened a renewal of the rain. Bob had never been in that section of New Jersey before, so that what he saw did not enlighten him much as to his whereabouts. Of course he had heard of the Hackensack Meadows, but it did not occur to him that it was amidst those marshy lands that he was cooped up. It would not have done him any good, anyway, if he had recognized the locality, as there seemed to be no immediate prospect of him getting away. He put in a long and dreary morning in fruitless speculation. About eleven o'clock he heard steps coming up the staircase again not the shuffling feet of Mr. Grubb, but the firm and heavy tread of a big man. Bob believed that this person was coming to see him, and it was with a sensation of expectation and relief that he waited for his visitor. It is always better to know the truth, however unpleasant, than to worry oneself over an uncertainty. The padlock was loosened and the door opened, admitting an individual whose mere presence, before he had opened his mouth even, threw a sudden gleam of intelligence upon the situation. For the instant Bob recognized the ponderous form of Mr. William Smithers, it was as if a veil had fallen from before his eyes, and he saw a reason for what previously had been so mystifying to him. "'Well, my intelligent young friend,' began the red-faced man sardonically, "'we meet again, though under circumstances not quite so agreeable to you, at least, as those of our former interview.' Bob looked hard at him, but did not open his mouth. "'You must thank your thick head for this unpleasant condition of affairs,' continued Mr. Smithers as he drew near to the boy. "'You would not take my warning, and so I have been put to the trouble of going to this extreme.' "'I don't see what you expect to gain by this high-handed outrage, Mr. Smithers,' said Bob, full of fight. "'You have laid yourself open to criminal proceedings by abducting me from my home?' "'I expect to gain my point,' said the man with a grim smile. "'I guess I hold the trump hand now, my young friend, "'and so I propose to compel you to come to terms. "'It takes two to make a bargain. "'That's right, and as there happens to be two of us in this room, "'we ought to be able to reach one without any great trouble. "'You can't make me give up my red dog stock unless I choose to.' 
and that's what you're after, I know. That's exactly what I'm after, and I think you'll give it up all right before I get through with you. Perhaps you think I'm easily managed, said Bob defiantly. Oh, there are more than one ways of killing a cat, and one of them ought to fetch you, said Mr. Smithers darkly. You don't imagine I carry that stock around with me, said Bob with a sneer. Hardly, replied Mr. Smithers cheerfully. It is probably in the safe at Scrooge and Sharpley's. Then I don't see an order from you presented by me in person the first thing tomorrow morning will answer all purposes. And you expect I will sign such an order? Astonished at the man's nerve. Certainly. Well, I won't. Then I'll have to put the screws on, my young friend, said Mr. Smithers, striking the floor with his heel several times. Birds that can sing and won't sing must be made to sing. See? And Bob did not relish the way that he said it. End of chapter 11